Well, we are uh, coming to the end. Uh, I think we have two more messages, including this one, uh, when it comes to our series in the book of Philippians, uh, titled Finding Joy in a Broken World. And what's been interesting to me is how challenging and encouraging uh, Philippians has been, especially during the series with everything that's been going on. And um, I, I, I preached through Philippians many, many years ago, and it seems like some of the same things that are happening now were happening uh, when I was preaching through it many years ago. And it's just weird how God kind of times things out, uh, circumstances and reflection on his word. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. And um, I want to start with just a little bit, um, a little bit about who I am might say a lot about who I am, and that is that every now and then, I've got this burning temptation to smash my laptop with a hammer. <laughs> am I the only one who feels that way? And it's not just because my laptop is eight years old going on nine years old, right? It's just sometimes prepping a sermon can really expose my heart, especially when it's not coming together like I need it to come together. And then on, add on top of that various ministry challenges and project deadlines and, and you know, land, frustrating uh, landlords. And then, you know, you've heard about the mold issue and us having to move and, and other challenges in life. It could really mess with your head. Sunday is right around the corner and I have to do more than just stand up here with a blank stare on my face and drool. I at least need to get to the point where I'm like sweating and spitting and yelling, and that requires a sermon. These last few weeks, I've wrestled with a lot of frustration. Anyone else here wrestled with a lot of frustration recently? I know, I know your stories, I know you have. You know, it seems like I was faced with one uncertainty after another this week. It's crazy, and if, if certain things didn't play out right, it could really mess with a, a bunch of stuff, not just for me, but for, for people that I, that I care about. You know, and frustration just starts kind of creeping in. And you know what frustration is? You know what frustration really is? Frustration's the word that we use when we don't really want to admit what is actually going on in our hearts, like impatience. Most of the time, the word frustration is code for impatience. But we don't say, I'm so impatient, because people won't give us any sympathy. We say, I'm so impatient, and people will be like, what's your problem? But you say, I'm so frustrated, and people will say, oh, I'm sorry, what's wrong? Right? Well, there's usually a lot more going on when we say frustrated, like, like impatience or anger or anxiety, discouragement. So when we find the word frustration coming out of our mouths, bells and whistles should go off everywhere when we say we're frustrated because usually most of the time, most of the time, it's hiding what we really mean. And the longer that we're in denial about it, the more our discontentment discourages us and on top of that, alienates the people around us, right? We're just not as loving as we should be when we find ourselves frustrated. And then on Friday, I was still frustrated. And then I saw the irony. 
I was discontent with a bunch of stuff, including my sermon. The week before, I had to stand up here on Sunday and preach a sermon called Learning to Be Content. Because God was piling one uncertainty on top of another to teach me the secret of being content. We're going to get that. My question for, for you all this morning is how, how about you? Do, do any of you here need to grow in contentment? You're like, no, I do not need any lessons in contentment right now. Yes, you do. We all do. We all need lessons in contentment. We all need to learn how to be content. I know that you struggle with frustration. I know that you struggle with anxiety. I know that you struggle with discouragement, just like I do. But what I want all of us to see this morning is that discontentment can undermine your relationship with God. Discontentment can undermine your relationship with other people, can undermine your relationship with people that are closest to you. Discontentment can undermine uh, you or keep you, totally destroy your ability to handle problems wisely. It can destroy your ability to handle the the struggles and the pressure you're under graciously. Is, Is this just me? And we could be honest here. We all struggle with it. That's one of the reasons that God gave us the book of Philippians. This next section that we're looking at zeroes in on contentment and how God teaches us to be content. So if you're taking notes using the outline in your handout, um, we're going to look at a few questions. And the first one is this, what is contentment? If we want to grow, we got to know what we're growing, right? But here's the problem. It can be hard to see because it's so easy to forget. It's easier to define the opposite. It's easier to define discontentment, right? Discontentment is when you're unhappy with your present circumstances. So is contentment being happy with your present circumstances? Not exactly. So let me tell you three things that contentment is not. Because there are counterfeits to, very real counterfeits to true contentment. So here's what contentment is not. It is not denying hurt and disappointment, right? Contentment is not denying hurt and disappointment. This is important to, to, to point out because, you know, Paul is not telling us to suck it up and smile. That's not what he's telling us. I remember a so-called Christian song I heard when I was a kid and still popular then, popular now, and it was called Let the Sun Shine In. Pebbles and Bam Bam even sang a version of it. And I'm not making these lyrics up. Imagine yourself in the middle of just pain and misery, hurt and loss and discouragement. Let the sun shine in. Face it with a grin. Smilers never lose, and frowners never win. That makes you want to punch pebbles and bam-bam right in the face. (laughs) It's a catchy song for sure, but it's stupid. (laughs) And now it is stuck in my head. (laughs) I'm going to be singing it for the rest of the afternoon. Oh, man. A lot of people actually fall for this counterfeit. 
and they end up stuffing their feelings and try to grin and bear it, but it doesn't work, does it? Thankfully, Paul's more realistic than that. Secondly, contentment is not liking all that is going on in your life. Paul didn't like everything that was going on in his life. He doesn't sit down in his dungeon and write a postcard to his church and say, the view from the dungeon is beautiful. Wish you were here. (laughs) He doesn't do that. Paul did not like his circumstances, and God doesn't expect you to simply like look for you to look at, at your problems and say, isn't this great? All this pain and suffering and, and misery. Paul's more realistic than that. And third, contentment, this is an important one. Contentment is not settling for sin. We say this over and over and over again, that God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you remain as you are. In chapter 3, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal. He says, I am not everything that I should be, but I press on toward the goal. He doesn't say, I struggle with sin, but you know what? Everybody does, so what are you going to do? I'm just going to roll with it. I'm sure God will understand, and it's cool. I'm content. Contentment is not settling for sin. It is not denying your hurt. It is not liking your problems. So what is it? What is contentment? Contentment is this. Contentment is being confident that we have all that we need for whatever it is that we're facing. It is being confident that we have all that we need for whatever it is that we're facing. There's more to it than that, but let me just stop there for a second. Where do I get that definition? It's from another uh, place where Paul is, is writing, and he uses the word for contentment in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul is writing about giving generously, and Paul realizes that someone might object and say, you know what, but I can't be generous. i got too many bills and too many stresses, too many things that are, that are going on. I cannot be generous. And so Paul adds this. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And that phrase, having all that you need, is translated from the same word in our passage that means being content. Contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever it is that you are facing. Paul is in chains. I mean, he's facing possible execution. In verse 12, look what he says. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, facing plenty and hunger. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, oh, I just, I love it when I'm starving. It's the best. Being in need is awesome. Hard times are cool. All I do is turn my frown upside down. No, he says, even though I don't like it, even though it is true suffering and misery, I am content because I am confident that I have all that I need for whatever it is that I'm facing. 
I was not content this week. I was not confident that I had all that I needed for what it was that I was facing. But I'll tell you, and I can say this honestly, that eventually contentment started to grow in my heart. In fact, this morning when I woke up, I realized I had a really good night's sleep. And I was meditating on this, so it was more positive. And then I left uh, to come here, and my wife texted me. And she says, are you okay? Do you remember your dreams last night? I, 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 you, you seemed like you were fighting or something. And, and I, I tried to comfort you uh, and pat it on you. And uh, you grabbed me and you held down my shoulders really hard. <laughs> like, wow. I no Apparently there's something else still going on. Actually, the first time she texted me, it was a typo autocorrect. And she said, you stabbed me. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. (laughs) Are you all right? (laughs) But I was was growing. Uh, Contentment was growing in my heart. My dreams just got to catch up, that's all. I'm telling, if I can grow in contentment, so can you. How? Well, that's our second main question. How will we learn contentment? Look at verse 11. Paul says this. um, He says, I have learned to be content. Contentment is learned. All right? Contentment is learned. So what's the lesson plan? Three things. Uh, Living, talking, and thinking. Paul is living life, uh, talking about life, and thinking about life in community. And it's more than that, but I'll get to it. But I want to point out that most of us, you know, we're at least living life and talking about it, um, but we're not content because most of us aren't thinking about life the way that Paul is. Because most of, I mean, have you ever heard the phrase that the unexamined life is not worth living? Well, Paul is examining his life. He's examining his his heart. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And here's the deal. All throughout Philippians, Paul is trying to get us to think about your life in relationship to Jesus. You hear us talking about that week in and week out because Paul keeps saying it and hammering it home, you know, throughout his book of Philippians. This is how we learn contentment. Throughout this book, he talks about how God the Son... Uh, Jesus coming to be with us changes absolutely everything. If you believe that, it changes absolutely everything. So he takes, Paul takes all of his hard times, he takes all of his strained relationships, he takes all of his uh, unfulfilled desires, and he examines them through the lens of Christ. And this is how we learn contentment. It is Christ-centered thinking, and I'll show you what I mean. This week is different things stirred up my, my discontentment, or I let it dis- stir up my discontentment. I was forced to think. And then I saw the irony that I was discontent because, among other things, I was struggling you know, with the sermon on contentment. And I thought about how through <laughs> the cross of Jesus, God has become my loving Father. I thought about how... how Through the cross of Jesus, my loving Father has 
infinite power to, to, to save me and change me and the world. That he is in absolute total control. And that he really does work all things together for my good. And on top of all that, my father is turning the tables on evil and using all the uncertainty to teach me the secret of contentment. And then you push the why question. And the why question is so, so critical. You find yourself upset. You find yourself frustrated. It's so important to ask why and push that why question. Why was I so upset? Well, because this week wasn't going as planned. Well, why does that matter? So I can be successful. Well, why do I have to be successful? So I could be respected. Well, why do I have to be respected? I don't know. I just have to be. And there it is. I was worshiping the respect idol. And it can control my life when I have to have it. So that means, honestly, if it looks, if it seems like it's shaping up that I'm going to look like a fool or something like that, I get anxious. If someone blocks the respect, I get angry. If it looks impossible, I get depressed. If I fail it, I feel guilty. If I get it, it's never enough. Like addicts, we got to have more. 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 Now, we might not consciously say that, but we live that way. And the proof is your discontentment. The proof is the frustration. We think we got to have more. And guess what God wants to do? He wants to free us from all of our idols that suck the life out of us. Free us from all the idols that suck the joy out of us. The idols of respect and success and performance, as well as the idols of, of, of approval from friends or whoever, the idols of comfort and, and control and security. How does God do that? How does God free us from these idols that, that we look to, that we, that we trust, but end up ripping us off? God lovingly uses hard experiences like uncertainty, like feeling lost, like feeling lonely, like feeling out of place, like project deadlines or difficult people in our lives. He can even use and redeem painful loss and suffering to stir up the emotions that are designed by God to redirect our focus from what we think we need to be content to the only one who can make us content, even in the most imaginable of circumstances. He leads us into the presence of God. And out of his love, he uses these things until we learn the secret of true contentment. He doesn't want you. He's not twisting your arm. He has given you a diagnosis and showing you the path, the, the direction the way of true joy, and it's found in him. It is not a change in our circumstances, whatever it is. In the first verse in, in Beautiful Letdown by Switchfoot, I mean, he says it well. He says, it was a beautiful letdown when I crashed and burned, when I found myself alone, unknown, and hurt. It was a beautiful letdown the day I knew that all the riches this world had to offer me would never do. 
That right there is a gracious wake-up call. I mean, more money, more control, more comfort, more respect will never do. We think it does, we chase it, get ripped off, and then we go chase it some more. So when, when I see my idolatry in the middle of preparing a, a sermon, you know, <laughs> graciously God lead, led me to repentance. And repentance and faith is the only way to break the power of idols. And I'm reminded that my, my respect idol was powerless. When we succeed, it, it, it can't deliver what it promises. It can only set higher goals. When we fail, it can't forgive. It can, only, it can only crush us. I was reminded that my respect idol was harmful. It harms people in my life and strains my relationships. And it harms, it harms me by robbing me of contentment and filling me with anxiety and anger and discouragement. And most importantly, I'm reminded that my respect idol was hurt the glory of God. And my, you, know what it's, you know what it is? I mean, and this is true for all of us, okay, including me. When there's something that we have to have, and we'll be discontent until we have it, whatever it is, and it might even be good things like success in ministry or, or the best marriage in the world or whatever, when we find ourselves discontent and joyless or bitter, our attitude, our heart, what our heart is telling us basically is, Thank you, God, that Jesus died so I might live with you forever, but it's not enough. I also need the respect of people or the love of people, the acceptance of, of people, uh, comfort, whatever it is. I also need that to be happy because Jesus is not enough. You know, when you see that, it has a way of softening, melting your hard heart. I mean, if you believe that God loves you at all, if you believe that the cross is true at all, when our sin gets exposed, it, it melts our heart. It should. And it leads us to repent. It leads us to say, I am so sorry, God. I am, so, I am a far bigger sinner than, than I thought. And, and I realize now that just trying hard won't cut it. I'm helpless and hopeless in and of myself. I, I need Jesus. And you realize, I can't in and of myself, but Jesus did. And that is what fills our, our heart with the faith to be filled with joy and to, with joy, obey him. Turning away from my respect idol and turning to faith in Jesus. That is a constant. That, that's, that's the Christian life. It's this constant cycle of repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. And so when we look at the cross and we see who Jesus is and what he's done, taking the wrath of God that we deserved upon himself and giving us new life, giving credit for his perfect, not, not now we say, thank you, Jesus, that you lived for me. And we live life of gratitude. Thank you that you lived a perfect life of contentment for me. And you never bowed to the respect idol or the acceptance idol or any other idol. And the Father was always enough for you, Jesus. And the good news is this, is that you lived it for me and gave me credit for it. That is amazing. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me and all of my sin and took the wrath of God upon yourself so that I wouldn't bear it. And thank you for giving me specifically for my idolatry, specifically for my sin of discontentment. 
Thank you, God, that you see me in Christ. Thank you, Father, that you clothed me in Jesus' righteousness. Now you treat me, you know, with the same love that you have for your perfect son. Thank you, Father, that in Christ I have respect and honor beyond my wildest imagination because I am a child of the king. And thank you for the secret of contentment. That's what the gospel does. But you know this, I, this pastor and the rest of the pastor, we, we don't have contentment down, but I, you know, I'm telling you, there's progress. And the turning point for me was thinking about what was going on in my life through the lens of Christ, putting it in perspective of the gospel. So finally, what is the secret of contentment? Well, I'm going to tell you what it's not first. It's not more. I mean, again, we think it is. We act like it is. Uh, right after high school, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was kind of on a uh, classic movie uh, kick, especially Humphrey Bogart movies. And um, one of them was Key Largo. Anybody here see Key Largo? In one hand, in the first service, like the whole room where they're like. <laughs> I love it. Edward G. Robinson's character is this violent gangster who holds a, a family hostage. And one of the hostages asks, asks this gangster, you know, what drives them to live like this? And they ask him, what is it that you want? And he's not the brightest guy in the world, and so he doesn't really have and answers, so Humphrey Bogart, who plays one of the hostages, says, I know what you want. You want more. And Robinson's face lights up, and he says, yeah, that's it. That's what I want. I want more. And his character says it plainly, what we all believe, the myth of more, the myth that one day more will be enough. We all think that. Now, we're all against materialism, right? Who's for materialism? If you are, you don't admit it. In a recent survey, 89% of the people said the United States is too materialistic. What's weird is that almost the exact same percentage said we wanted even more for ourselves. I'm not materialistic. I just want more. Yeah. A few years ago, Leonardo DiCaprio played Howard Hughes in the movie uh, Aviator, and now coming out like next month, Warren Beatty plays Howard Hughes in a movie called Rules Don't Apply. And what we see in the movies about Howard Hughes and what we read about him in, in history is that Howard Hughes wanted more. More wealth, more pleasure, more adventure, more power, and he got it. He was like the man's man. Everybody wanted to be like Howard Hughes, to be rich and, and to do anything you wanted and have that adventure and power. And he, he got it all. In a biography of Howard Hughes, the author writes this about the guy who had it all. He was a figure of gothic horror ready for the grave emaciated, only 120 pounds stretched over his six-foot, four-inch frame. Thin, scraggly beard that 
reached midway to his sunken chest, hideously long nails in, in grotesque yellowed corkscrews. Many of his teeth were black, rotting stumps. A tumor was beginning to emerge from the side of his head, innumerable needle marks. Howard Hughes was an addict, a billionaire junkie. Okay, let me ask you something. As impressive as his life was, if this guy pulled off one more deal, made one more million, got one more thing that he wanted, got one more thrill, would it have been enough? I mean, it sounds like a rhetorical question, right? Of course, the answer is no. Isn't it so easy to see in other people? We see it so easily in other people. And we never examine our own hearts. The sin of discontentment in our own hearts. We need to ask God to graciously show us because the idolatry just robs us, robs us of joy. So if the secret of contentment isn't more, what is it? You might be frustrated with how simple it is, but it's the truth. Paul keeps it simple. He reminds us it's simply Jesus. Again, in verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of being content. And then in verse 13, he tells us what it is. Here is the secret of being content, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not a, a, a verse that you use to make touchdowns and get rich and whatever it else to reach your, you know, your, your ambitious goals, whatever they may be. And oftentimes it's used as some kind of lucky rabbit's foot to get us the idols that, that, that we want. But when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's saying, I am content because I'm confident that I have all I need for whatever it is I'm facing. Even in failure. Remember I said there was more to it? Why is he content? Because the risen Jesus lives in me and gives me his strength. The spirit of Jesus lives within me and gives us strength. Paul, like many of us, had difficult circumstances. I mean, he's on, on death row. Nero could have his head chopped off any moment. So Paul thinks about the secret. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he's content. He knows that he has all that he needs. He's confident that he has all that he needs for whatever it is that he is facing. And then Paul, like many of us, have strained relationships. And he thinks about the secret. And he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and gave his life for others. And then he's content. And then Paul, like many of us, have unfulfilled longings. And he thinks about the secret. And he realizes that our longing for, for more points, what it points to. And he says, I want to know Christ. And then he's content. And he knows that there is a day coming when we will see Jesus face to face. And all of our deepest longings will be fulfilled. 
I'll close with this. Wherever you are, I don't know where you are spiritually right now, but I, I think all of us to uh, a certain degree can, can apply this. Some of you, if you're not a Christian, uh, maybe it's a, there's a good chance that, he, that even though you're not a Christian, you're very interested in, and you're wondering, how can I connect with Jesus? Well, you have to understand the bad news and the good news. And the bad news is that our sin disconnected us from God. And the good news is that Jesus came to earth and died for our sin so that we could be forgiven and connected with God and live with him and for him forever. You connect to Jesus by admitting that you're a sinner just like the rest of us. Believing that, that Jesus died for your sin and was raised from the dead and submitting to Jesus in, in your life as your Savior and your Lord as your greatest joy. Now, you could do that on your own, but I'd like to encourage you to talk to a Christian friend, talk to them and ask questions. And if you're by yourself, there'll, there'll be people by the cross over here willing to talk with you and and uh, pray with you after, after the sermon is over. But I want you to know that if this is you, now is the time. There's no reason to put it off. Put your trust in him today. Ask, ask us today about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe some of you are not Christians, and you just dragged to church this morning, whatever, you're not, you're only mildly interested in me. I want to give you something to think about. Why are we never fully satisfied by anything on this earth? Why, and you know it's true, deep down, we're never fully satisfied by anything on this earth. It's all just temporary. It tricks us to, into thinking that it works, but we know ultimately nothing ultimately satisfies. Why are we driven for more? Is it because we're too demanding? Or is it possible that we were made for something that this world can't deliver? Is it possible that we were wired for something more satisfying than we could ever imagine? A, a new world, a relationship with someone that is far bigger than anything else you can imagine in this world. Start there, okay? thinking about that and, and see where it leads you and then keep asking questions. And then finally, to my Christian brothers and sisters, God wants us to learn the secret of contentment together. He wants us to learn the secret of contentment for our good and his glory as we live life together in Christ, as we talk about life together in Christ, and especially as we think about life together in Christ, we need to keep reminding each other of the secret to contentment, remembering that because of who Jesus is and what he has done, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the only way to really live. May our faith in Christ increase. May our faith in Christ increase 
And may God be glorified. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. So often we are suspicious of you and we reject your truth, thinking that we are wiser than you are. Thank you that you sent your Son and your Spirit to convince us, to open our, our eyes to see who Jesus is and what he's done. God, forgive us for how forgetful we are. Forgive us for continuing to look to other things to get the contentment that we desire when all they do is just end up ripping us off. God, I pray that you would continue to draw us to yourself, that you would continually, lovingly point out that you are the only one who is worthy of, of our lives and of our worship. God, we are so often, so unfaithful, and we, oftentimes we don't even think about it. And yet, <laughs> you proved how much you loved us anyway by sending Jesus to live for us and die for us, to rescue us from the wrath that we deserve. God, I pray, Lord, that that would fill us with a, a relief. God, I pray if there's anybody here that's never put their faith and trust in you and are just tired, tired of hitting brick wall after brick wall um, and feeling beat up, continually being ripped off in constant state of, of frustration, God, I pray that you would give them the faith to turn to you and to trust you this morning. And may they find true contentment and peace and joy and satisfaction in the only one who can give it to us. Help them to trust Jesus. Help them to love Jesus. Help them to obey Jesus and follow Jesus because he is worthy and find true life. God, for the rest of us here um, who call ourselves Christians, who say that we've trusted Jesus, God, I pray, Lord, that this good news would not become old news, that it would um, stir up again in a new ways a love and appreciation for you. God, I pray that in preparation for the Lord's Supper that, that my brothers and sisters would not be distracted by anything that else that's going on or anything that's happening next, that you would enable them to focus right here in this moment right now to reflect on the gospel, the good news that they just heard and to apply it to their lives, to freely confess sin and then rest and knowing that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins 
and purify us from all unrighteousness and find true contentment in you. We pray these things in your name.